Welcome to another episode of the Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We're on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, and it's good to be back. We have all three of our co-hosts for this conversation, Jimmy Johnson, Dewey Doval, and myself, Austin McCormick, and we are privileged in this conversation to speak with Brian Talbot. And we're going to be discussing a book that he has uh, been instrumental in writing called Under the Mulberry Tree. And I believe that this is uh, letters written back and forth between uh, Andrew Fuller and Christopher Anderson. So all of our particular Baptist listeners will be very interested in this conversation. But before we uh, jump right into the content of this uh, show, welcome to our podcast, Brian. I introduce my myself. I'm Brian Talbot. I'm currently minister of Bronte Frey Baptist Church in Dundee, Scotland, since 2007. It's a professional middle class congregation in a suburb of Dundee. Prior to that, for 15 years, I was pastor of a Baptist church in a deprivation uh, community in Cumbernauld uh, on the outskirts of Glasgow. I obtained my PhD uh, on the origins of Baptists in Scotland under Professor David Bebbington at Stirling University. In 1999. It was published in 2003 as Search for Common Identity, the Origins of the Baptist Union of Scotland, 1800 to 1870. This book covered the different networks of Baptists in Scotland, from Scotch Baptists, Haldenite Baptists, and the English style Baptists, model English particular Baptists. Then it looked at home mission work in Scotland. Attempts to form a union in Scotland, the three that failed and then the one that succeeded, it, it uh, culminated there in, in uh, 1869. In the course of the three people uh, in the work and got to see him and some of his colleagues at work reading their literature, following their story, their hardship, their convictions their commitment to Christ and his church. Anderson was an incredible man of vision, mentored so well by a man called George Barclay of Irvine. And uh, their vision uh, for unity in the work of the gospel in home mission led to the Scottish Baptist networks joining together for home mission in 1827. They did form a union around the same time, but not everybody got the same uh, message. Um, Calvinistic Baptists aren't always able to get on as well together as they might, and uh, they took a little while to work that through in uh, in the 19th century in Scotland. So that was the first book. I later wrote, uh, oh, I edited a series of uh, chapters on Scottish Baptist life in the 20th century, Distinctive People, and then more recently, uh, published by Wiffman Stock in 2021, building on a common foundation, the origins of the Baptist Union of Scotland, 1869 to 2019. In terms of my work in the university world, I first got involved through Greenwich School of Theology, based in England, which is uh, a postgraduate online uh, school in partnership with Northwest University the Pushroom Campus in, in South Africa. 
in the last year or two, GST has been working with the University of Appledoon in the Netherlands as well. So I, I've co-supervised some masters and PhD students and currently have a few in that context. I've also more recently become a senior research fellow at the International Baptist Theological Seminary in Amsterdam and currently uh, supervise a couple of PhD students on Baptist historical topics. In uh, other work, I'm very active in the Baptist World Alliance, been on the History Commission there since 2005 and had the privilege of chairing it uh, between 2015 and 20, uh, yeah, 2015 and 2020. Do a few other things like chaplain of a, a British football team you call soccer in the US. Um, so that's something that's quite different. Um, I'm married uh, with three adult adult children and uh, I'm delighted to be with you this evening. Oh, this is lunchtime for you. It's evening evening here in Scotland. Um, thank you so much for your brief introduction. Um, and also we're discussing, as Austin alluded to, your book titled Under the Mulberry Tree. So where does your title come from? And can you briefly summarize the purpose of your book? The title is Unusual. Well, that's hopefully going to draw people in to want to find out where in the book the references to the uh, the mulberry tree. So I, well, I can, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> it's mentioned in two of the letters. In uh, Anderson's letter to Fuller on the 18th of August, 1807, half an hour under your mulberry tree would have rendered it unnecessary, but that's now impractical. And then again, in a letter, Fuller to Anderson, September the 1st, 1807, I must sit down and talk with you an hour though not under the mulberry tree. In the context, there's probably a literal tree outdoors where in better weather, they sat outside and shared fellowship together, probably uh, near Kettering. But it's also used that phrase under the mulberry tree. We, I think it's also used in the 19th century for a place of reflection, a place of discerning God's will. I think that's certainly the usage uh, in a sermon of, of Spurgeon. Well, that's a late, a later time in 1857. But he's got one of his messages where he's speaking about David and the sermon based on uh, 2 Samuel 5, 24, where David's seeking the Lord's will. Should I go out to battle? And the word mulberry tree is used in the King James Version. You won't have that uh, naming of the tree the same in some of the modern versions. But the emphasis in the sermon is on about waiting on the Lord, of sensing his call, his purposes. And that actually fits Anderson and Fuller's understanding of this term under the mulberry tree, even if literally they had had some of those meetings together in person in, in England. But it's about a reflection seeking, how would God have us go forward? These were two visionary men. Men of God who had a great strong view of the sovereignty of God. But as you know, Fuller was so articulate at proclaiming the duty of people to respond to the good news of the gospel, the duty of believers to take the good news of the gospel to other people. But they only wanted to do what God would have them do and do it in a way that was honoring to him so these these letters 
under the mulberry bush. It's a, a series of, of, of relatively brief correspondence, but an insight, a window into the lives of two key Baptist figures in the early 19th century and a little bit uh, before that. As they shared their hearts together, they loved to be together, but they weren't able to do that too often. But it's an opportunity for us today to see inside their hearts what mattered to them. And in the correspondence about some big things and some very ordinary things, their shared life together in the service of God, I believe, is an inspiration to us. So that's what Under the Mulberry Bush is about. Dr. Talbot, it is certainly a delight to have you on the Covenant podcast today, and I can honestly say that the subject of today's conversation has piqued my curiosity since we first had, uh, scheduled you a few weeks back, and to your credit, you picked a very creative book title, so I hope many of our listeners and those who stumble upon your book will be captured by the title of the book, as I was in anticipation for our conversation today, but on a separate note to transition into kind of the bulk of our conversation for the rest of our time together, you've mentioned Christopher Anderson up to this point. And uh, for some of our listeners who may not be too familiar with this figure from Baptist history, uh, including myself, would you be willing to provide our listeners with just a biographical sketch of Christopher Anderson and, and what maybe led you uh, to do further study and scholarship on this individual? Right, a quick summary of some of the uh, key uh, dates in his life. He was born in Edinburgh in Scotland on the 19th of February, 1782. 1796, he's apprenticed as an ironmonger to John Muir. 1799, July of that year, his conversion. 11th of October, he meets Andrew Fuller. October 1801, his desires to be a Baptist missionary first made known. He's open to going to India with the early BMS uh, pioneers. 1802, he's meeting with Fuller. He's really committed from that point onwards to BMS. He's gonna be their main man in Scotland. And these two men are on the same wavelength. They really connect and they, they get it the way that uh, Carey and his colleagues are working in India. So that's 1802, it's their meeting together. It's, that's where the seed begins of Fuller seeing Anderson, the younger man, much younger man, as a potential successor. That's not that's going to come later, but that's where the friendship really begins uh, significantly for that point on. Uh, 1804, December of that year, Anderson's father, William, dies. That's a big family moment. Christopher feels free at that point to go to widen his knowledge, to meet with English, particular Baptists, to gain some attend some lectures, hear some preachers, um, while he's reflecting on what God would have him do. So he's left Edinburgh for England in June 1805. Uh, October, he's left Olney in Buckinghamshire uh, for Bristol. He's meeting key evangelical leaders, pastors, and just listening to them preach, having conversations with them, finding out about their work, their writings, just getting a sense of what God's doing in England at that time. And he concludes in, in August uh, 1806, the 18th of August, he returns to Edinburgh in Scotland. 21st of January 1808, he's ordained to the Christian ministry. It's the founding of 
what today we know as Charlotte Baptist Chapel. But he's not just the pastor of a local church. That's a great call, but he's doing so much more. 1810, the Edinburgh Bible Society is formed. He's one of the leading figures, a catalyst in that. 1810, the Gallic School Society. People are not going to be able to read the Bible if they can't read and write. And in the highlands and islands of Scotland, they need to be able to, to, to have that basic skills. So he's, he's instrumental in that work. 1816, he marries Esther Athill. 1818, the church is enlarged and it's relocated to the, the, the site of the former Episcopalian Charlotte Chapel. That's how the name originally comes from. It was Episcopalian Chapel. They moved to a larger building elsewhere. 1818, the Irish Society for Instructing the Irish in Their Native Language. Anderson Books, his tours of Ireland, supporting them. He wanted the, the, the Bible to be read, accessible in their native language. He didn't want notes, commentary, because there'd be, there'd be opposition from the priests. He wanted people to be able to read and write and to read the Bible for themselves. He trusted that the Holy Spirit would take God's word in, in Ireland. A real visionary man uh, in that respect. Just to highlight, even though outwardly the work was successful, the personal tragedy He's a strong believer in the sovereignty of God and preaching on that. You've got in 1823, the death of a child. 1824, his beloved wife, Esther, dies. 1825, another two children die. 1826, another child dies. 1828, the death of his last child, William. But Anderson continues serving the Lord. 1827, the crucial role in the uniting of home mission work and of the founding of the Baptist Union of Scotland. It was five men from Charlotte Baptist Chapel that were the key movers in getting the Baptist Union of Scotland started. Anderson wasn't up front with that. He was behind them doing it. Colleagues to lead, but he, he could have a vision and encourage them to take that forward. He wasn't someone who needed to be on centre stage to have the glory. He was quite happy for whoever to be the public front person for a project. He just wanted to see God honoured and glorified through work being done, through the gospel being shared. And that's a wonderful attitude of heart that he had. 1851, July of that year, He's removed from the church. He's an older man and his successor doesn't want him there. 5th of September, the death of Mrs. William Anderson, key family member who was very supportive and helpful to him. And on the 18th of February, 1852, he dies. He's an extraordinarily influential figure in Scottish Baptist life, but also in BMS life with his link to the missionaries in India he understood their heart because he took the time in those journeys to England and through his continuing friendship with Andrew Fuller to understood how they thought and how they would operate. That was crucial in later years when there's the controversy after Fuller's day, 
when the new BMS committee in London, people who lived in the big city who didn't understand what life was like on the mission field in India uh, took over. Christopher Anderson did, and he was a voice for those in India. They had the same theology, but he understood the outworking and living of that on the ground in a missional situation. So that's a, a quick um, whistle-stop tour through the, the basics of his life. Hmm. Thank you for that biographical sketch on Christopher Anderson. Very helpful for uh, us and our audience to learn about him and uh, encouraged by the things that you have informed us about him. You mentioned near the end of your biographical sketch his friendship with Andrew Fuller. And I believe in the book, you also mentioned that we have available to us around 40 letters of correspondence exchanged uh, over a period of eight years between Christopher Anderson and Andrew Fuller. So I'm curious to know, um, what do these letters teach us? Um, what was the relationship between Fuller and Anderson? And how do we know this? Thank you for these, these questions. Very good, uh, excellent questions, helping us to look at their uh, friendship together. There's 28 years difference in age. They're like an older and a younger brother working together. That's the best way to see their friendship. It really was like family. Even though there was no biological connection, they were that close. It was just that natural relationship between them. They just felt a common heart and purpose with one another. Of course, Andrew Fuller's older. He's more experienced in ministry. But it's not, it, there is mentoring, but it's not a strictly a mentoring relationship. There is so much of an, an equality of relationship through much of their, their conversations. There'll be plenty of conversations about just daily life, just what is happening. The good things and the tough things like bereavements. So when Anderson loses a child, he knows Fuller has lost children. And so he'll ask for encouragement. How do you deal with this kind of situation? They'll talk about travel plans, ministry update, how each is feeling about their respective ministries, their spiritual state, how they're getting on with the Lord, how they, they feel things are in their relationship with God. <coughs> There's plenty of news about other colleagues, sometimes very specific individuals and circumstances that are really important. They can speak about books they've read. I may recommend one to the other updates on the on different aspects of Christian work. Obviously, BMS is a big thing. Work of the Bible Society. Always challenges in any kind of, of work. And uh, they'll talk about some of these as well as the good times and the tough times. And the Baptist magazine. That's a um, magazine that came in. Was the evangelical magazine that uh, nonconformists uh, shared together. 
but uh, they were not quite as keen on Baptists in the uh, early part of the 19th century. And eventually the Baptists decided to set up their own Baptist magazine. So there's, there's conversations about, about that. But most of all, they wanted to spend time together as Christian brothers sharing their hearts and praying together. That's what they decided to do more than anything. But they live 400 miles apart. Now, we may think 400 miles today, get in your car. Yeah, it's a long trip. Or it is for me in the UK. It's maybe not in some parts of the USA. But back then, the roads were tracks. It was horrendous. It would take weeks away from home. And you've got the responsibilities of work. If you're taking weeks off to have a time of fellowship with somebody, that's a big, big step to take. So their actual physical meetings were not many, but they longed to be together. Certainly in the later years, Fuller is not wanting to presume on God's sovereign purposes for Christopher Anderson's life. But his heart is to say, I want Christopher Anderson as my successor. That's really something that really um, was important to uh, Andrew Fuller. However, when he died, that was never going to happen. The London Committee were concerned about BMS's affairs being handled in rural England. The idea of somebody as far away as Edinburgh in that century, it just wasn't on their agenda. There was no way Christopher Anderson was ever going to get that position. They wanted BMS run in a different, more business-like way as they understood it which created uh, some big issues over control of work in India. But these two men, they were on the same wavelength. So Fuller could share with Anderson uh, frustrations or issues. Um, Anderson does refer to Fuller as my beloved father in Christ Jesus, as well as a co-worker. But this, the struggle undoubtedly brought them closer together like the death of their children that I've already mentioned that's a really really tough one anyone listening uh, today who's lost a child or lost multiple children as both these men did that's a really really tough situation no matter how strongly you believe in the Lord we're human beings and we have feelings less frequently was doctrinal advice sought but if they thought the other needed advice they were willing to give it followed um near the end did wonder whether anderson was quite as clear about the eternal security of believers and so he inquired and anderson of course says no i'm absolutely clear on on that um i'm not sure how that misunderstanding came about but fuller was asked Asking the question. He didn't want him to up uh, the eternal security of believers. Um, and that issue was uh, quickly put to, to, to rest. As practical advice, of course, on ministry projects, places like Ireland, BMS publications, or other missionaries. And investing in the future, mentoring younger leaders was something both got involved with 
Now, Fuller, with the connections in England, with the English associations, there's a lot more connections with more uh, younger ministers. But Anderson himself, from those small beginnings in Scotland, there's literally a handful of Baptists in, in Scotland in the early 19th century. Now, they're all Calvinistic Baptists, different kinds of Calvinistic Baptists, um, of churches that are networks that have different uh, foundations. But Anderson sent 16 young men for the work of ministry, 10 of which got places at the Baptist colleges at Bristol or at Horton College near Bradford to train for ministry. So these are the kinds of things the correspondence shares. It's about, about life. Whatever's happening, they just poured out their hearts to one another. With... Um... The letters in mind and, and what they convey about the relationship of Andrew Fuller and Anderson, um, Christopher Anderson, what do they teach us about Anderson specifically, the man, um, Christopher Anderson, um, and what do you want our audience to know about him? I have the highest admiration for Christopher Anderson. For a young man, you've got the young man who was open to the mentoring of George Barclay. He modeled for Anderson a way of mission and ministry. And Christopher Anderson was always open to learning from others. It, it's not all coming out clearly in the letters. You pick that up in the wider literature and, and, the, and the contacts and connections. His trip down to England when he's meeting with others, there's the humility of the young man realising just how much he has to learn. And he's connecting with key figures in the particular Baptist movement. He will hear others. He'll go to some unlikely places to listen and watch uh, services. And yeah, that, that pattern throughout his life of humility of wanting to learn, also wanting to find new places of reaching out in the community with the view of providing opportunities for the gospel. So the literature, the Gaelic School Society in the Highlands of Ireland, or the work in Ireland, these are big, big projects, as well as the BMS work overseas. And yet somehow he manages to do all this and the work in his local church. It's very difficult to see how he found the hours to do all these multiple projects. And at the same time, the family, the home situation. So we see here a gifted Christian who made his talents available to God in so many spheres. Anderson's a dedicated Christian who gave his best for God. He didn't ever see bigging up Christopher Anderson as something special, as sometimes you get with big names today in, in Christian circles. He was a guy who wanted to keep God front and centre and see people coming to Christ. And providing opportunities for mission and evangelism, his heart was, was restless, 
wanting more people to hear of Jesus. So the, the work of home evangelism, work overseas with BMS, there was a holy discontent with the current situation. Even when things were difficult, when numbers were small, there was an expectancy of living those famous words of Carey, expect great things and to attempt great things from God and for God. That was how he lived. It could be used for describing his life and those other amazing uh, pioneers and some of their colleagues at, at home as, as well. So his visionary perspective, which there were others that were very hard workers who served the Lord in so many incredible ways, but he saw opportunities. He brought people in to start new ventures that needed to be started. He didn't need to be running everything. He did run some things, but many a time he'd get it started and hand it over to somebody else and he'd look for the next thing to get started. He was an encourager of others, giving them the opportunities to be in the lead. So as a pastor, he was a facilitator. Yep, on a Sunday, he was the one primarily who led and preached the services in the church. But in the other wider ministries, he, uh, like the Baptist Union, he never fronted anything at the Baptist Union. But he was the one behind the scenes encouraging the people to, to have the meetings to get it started or with the whole mission of working together. He wanted others to actually be up front to have the limelight, but he was behind the scenes. I suspect that that comes from George Barclay's modeling. Barclay also had that humble spirit, not wanting necessarily to have the limelight. So there's a very much a, a connection there. So in pastoral ministry, he's an encourager of others. He's a Barnabas. And he's delighted when others succeed in their ministries. That's a huge thing today. Can we encourage other people? Can we take delight in what's happening in another church? If things maybe aren't going as well with us, but they're going well somewhere else, are we able to be encouraging of the other? Because that's sometimes a hard thing. Anderson was good at that. He was a man who endured. So I mentioned about children dying. I know when I read uh, Hugh Anderson's book, Life and Letters of Christopher Anderson, and reading that section, he's going and preaching, continuing the same series about God's sovereignty, God being in control, and, and children are dying. Only the Holy Spirit of God can empower someone to go and continue doing as he did. It's... I, I wept when I read that years ago in the 1990s. I hope that book will be uh, back in print at some point. And uh, although there is uh, a mind for mission, essays on Christopher Anderson, edited by Donald Meek, and there are a few other publications, I think there's a lot more uh, we could love to see back in print on Christopher Anderson. So in that context of the personal loss, he persevered. In the BMS controversy, when things got really, really tough, he was one of the people looking for solutions. It can be easy when there's 
conflict and difference of opinion between Christians who want to go their separate ways to be the bridge builder, to put in the costly hours behind the scenes of trying to find a way to bring reconciliation. This kind of works so hard. And on top of everything else he was doing, but he would plod away earnestly and creatively to seek unity for the sake of the gospel. And the success that he achieved is quite remarkable. This humble man of God, it's really astonishing how much he achieved. But yet right near the end, his successor couldn't really cope. The young, quite brash minister, I think a little too confident in his abilities, didn't want the older pastor in the church. It's profoundly sad at the end. But it's a story that's inspirational. It's a life that's honoring the Lord Jesus. And Christopher Anderson's a guy, one of many figures, men and women of church history, that can inspire us today to keep going in the tough times, to seek the Lord earnestly about ways of reaching people in our culture, which is increasingly, in my country, increasingly secular and not easily open to hearing the good news of Jesus. Christopher Anderson was someone who will be praying, Lord, what ways can I be a bridge builder to get alongside people to provide opportunities for sharing the good news, the gospel? We've much to learn from Christopher Anderson, and I commend him to you. Well, I've certainly been encouraged, Dr. Talbot, from all that you've shared about Christopher Anderson. And if you're a Baptist history nerd, which I trust we have many who are part of our listening base, then I'm sure you were likewise encouraged from all that we were able to learn from this hero of our theological heritage. Dr. Talbot, as we prepare to draw today's episode to a close, do you have any final thoughts or words of encouragement to share about Christopher Anderson, Andrew Fuller, or anything else that we've been discussing in relation to your book? Thank you for this opportunity to be with you uh, today. So just coming back to these figures and uh, my studies, Andrew Fuller and Christopher Anderson may appear to have very ordinary beginnings. But these were men who worked really, really hard to be the best they could be for God. Yes, they believed in God's sovereignty. And that actually kept them going in the toughest times that God ultimately was in control. But they had that perseverance and dedication to make the best use of their time, to serve God to the best of their abilities. Figures like these men who made such a difference in their day. They can encourage us so much today. Our focus today is on this particular period in history and this key English Baptist and Scottish Baptist. Who uh, are a great example for us. My hope is through this book and also I'm sure many other excellent books that are out there of church history to get reading and learning from the example of these great men and women of the past god has worked mightily in the past even in some very difficult times so no matter what situation we're in today the lessons we can learn from what happened in the past 
for our present day situation. It's when we don't learn the lessons of the past that we tend to make exactly the same mistakes in our generation. Given the, the likely uh, audience in this context, I'm sure we're all very enthusiastic about uh, church history. Um, but it's really good to be able to commend uh, these two individuals and their correspondence in Under the Mulberry Tree, a book that I hope will be out uh, later in the year. And uh, it's well worth getting hold of. Thank you. Well, we look forward to seeing your book, Dr. Talbot, and uh, we thank you for joining the Covenant Podcast today. I hope our listeners were richly edified by everything that you had to share with us, and I trust that your book will be a blessing to many as well. And to our listeners, we do want to thank you for joining us today on the Covenant Podcast. Until next time, we wish you grace and peace. God bless.